Well, hello, hello, and hello, everybody! Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when? Today we have such an honor. Oh my goodness! To our special guest join us today, we have Joel Tremel join us. And Joel, he is a serious entrepreneur and lifetime learners. He is super, super passionate about building great organization. His leadership has led to multiple success assets and exceptional investor return in his thirty-plus years career. After discovering there might be some gap between business leaders who are struggling to build great businesses, Joe launched American CEO to provide educational resources for chief executive. He is also the author of the CEO Tightrope, a comprehensive guide featuring proven techniques and approaches for overcoming the unique challenges of being a CEO. Joe is the owner of Texas CEO Magazine, which reached more than ten thousand CEOs across the state. As a leading CEO educator, Joe regularly speaking in multiple conferences, event nationwide. He has contributed to Entrepreneur, Forbes, and Inc.com, sharing his experience-based insight on business leadership topics. He has served on the board for public. Private nonprofit organization. He was named chairman emeritus of Austin Technology Council. To end, Joe is the ultimate chief educator to chief executives. With that, everybody, I am so excited. Thank you so much, Joe, for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thanks for the invitation. Excited to be here. Of course, Joe. So tell us how does all the journey begin for you? <laughs> The journey starts in a small town in North Louisiana called Ruston, Louisiana,、mm. where my dad was a university professor,、mm. and so I was supposed to follow in his footsteps.、Uh, I was the fifth of five kids, and he wanted、uh, one of his kids to get a PhD and teach, and I was the last hope、uh, to do that. And、uh, I did very well in school and was. Uh, top of my class, and and graduated from high school, and thought I would get an engineering degree, which is what he taught, and、yeah. and get a PhD, and and do the teaching thing. And、uh, somewhere along the way in high school, I had met a couple of what we would now call entrepreneurs.、Mm-hmm. We didn't use that term really then. We called them small business owners.、Mm-hmm. Uh, one ran a series of firework stands. Uh, one bought and sold small businesses, kind of his as his job.、Mm-hmm. But both of them had kind of kindled an interest in business to me.、Uh, but I went ahead, got the engineering degree,、uh, took a job to teach for the U.S. Navy at what they call Naval Nuclear Power School. Very nice.、Uh, a lot of people there would work on their masters in their spare time, and I wanted to see if I liked the teaching gig, and so. Uh, I did. I, I really enjoyed the teaching aspect of the、mm-hmm. job, but I started taking a couple of graduate math courses and realized I really had no interest in graduate engineering. Theoretical engineering just wasn't what I wanted to do, and and so I wanted to to get into business. And at that time, and at that time,、uh, you know, the school wanted sixty、uh, hours of undergraduate business before they would let me into their MBA program, and so. The only way to kind of learn about business at that point in time, we didn't have the internet, we didn't、mm-hmm. have all these resources that we do now,、uh, was to start a business. And so I, I started my first business、uh, while I was still in the navy. Wow! First of all, that is incredible. Were you a little scared? I mean, you didn't. That was not the path laid for you. 
Yeah, I mean, it certainly was different. I had two older brothers who were both engineers, and I had kind of seen what working in industry uh, for them was like and, mm-hmm. and didn't really like the fact that they had often had to move around to to get jobs or to change jobs or a factory would be sold and mm-hmm. and, and didn't really have control of their career. So mm-hmm. I think one of the things that certainly appealed to me about entrepreneurship was was the control aspect mm-hmm. that if I failed, it was because I failed. Mm-hmm. I could live with that. But if somebody else's failure caused me to lose a job or yeah. have an issue, yeah. that was that was it just didn't feel comfortable to me. So I didn't view it as risk per mm-hmm. se. I actually viewed it as having more control. That's an interesting perspective. And then what happened is... Yeah, so I started my first business. Um, we moved here in uh, 1991 for my wife to get her PhD at the University of Texas. Uh, so she's a 4.0 PhD in electrical engineering from the University of Texas. So clearly the brains of the operation. Um, I brought that business here to Austin, uh, really to the Round Rock area, and uh, then started a, a small uh, a computer store networking business there as well. Uh, and that was kind of the first business that had a physical location that I ran. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up selling that after a few years because we wanted to move into the Austin area mm-hmm. um, and ended up uh, eventually starting a business with my wife based on some of the work she had done in her first job. And that was a company called NetQOS that we built from uh, zero to about $60 million in revenue and, and sold in 2009. That's incredible. Wow. How does that experience, you know, building the business along the way and decided to uh, join partnership with your wife? Yeah, working with your wife, uh, you know, obviously has uh, is a little different than, than most businesses, the way they're formed. It was it was pretty easy in our case. I mean, she was yeah. clearly the technical expert mm-hmm. in the business and her interests were on the technical side. Mm-hmm. And basically, I ran everything else. Mm-hmm. Um and so there was a clear division of powers. There wasn't a lot of struggle about who was in mm-hmm. charge of what. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it worked uh, pretty well. And we ended up having uh, three kids during that process as well. So that wow. that took her at times out of the business a little bit. Um, but uh, it was it was pretty easy. And I, I've heard people say, you know, they could never do a, a business with their spouse. And, and that's you know, some people are that way, but uh, many of the great businesses were husband-wife combinations. Uh, Cisco yeah. was started by a husband-wife. Uh, VMware was started by a husband-wife. There have been many examples of, of mm-hmm. that combination working very well. So for um, our fellow entrepreneurs who may be starting a business with their significant others, what would you say to her or him? Well, I think you do need very clearly defined roles, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what are what am I in charge of and what are you in charge of? Mm-hmm. Uh, as a CEO coach, I'm not a big fan of, of trying to do a co-CEO or mm-hmm. we're equal. No, I, I think you need to be very clear. Who's the CEO? Who's the technologist? Whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and define those roles up front. I think mm-hmm. that's important. Uh, I think people get into trouble if they don't try to define those roles or try mm-hmm. to wait and, and form consensus for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big believer you need one person that is calling the shots and figure mm-hmm. out who that is. And mm-hmm. and maybe one tries it for a while and decides they don't like it, and then the other one tries it. But yeah. uh, but you need, I think, those clearly defined roles. Yeah. And that's incredible that, you know, you and your wife to build phenomenal business while raising a family and do everything they want time for. And that's incredible. I'm curious... How do you know when to sell? 
at the time you're building it. Amazing. This is your also your first baby as well, business baby wise. But how do you know when to walk away? Yeah. So selling, you know, depends very much situationally.、Uh, we had raised money from a, a private equity fund,、uh, and therefore, when when we raised that money, I remember asking specifically to one of the partners, "Hey, what's success here?"、Mm-hmm. And、uh, he said, "You know, kind of. I think doing some kind of quick back of the envelope calculation." He said, "A two hundred million dollar exit." Mm-hmm. Is what success is, and so I knew from the day we, you know, funded the business that that was really my goal. I was buying into as well was、mm-hmm. a two hundred million dollar exit of the business, and、mm-hmm. so when that opportunity became available, it wasn't a difficult decision to say sell the business. It was also two thousand eight, two thousand nine for those、mm-hmm. that were in the business environment then. It was not the best of business climates、mm-hmm. as well.、Uh, You know, and and so、uh, when that it was really hard to turn down a, a good offer、mm-hmm. uh, at that point in the business. Yeah, so it's almost like a right timing, and at the time beforehand, you already prepared that is what you are、uh, you willing to walk away for, and that just all aligned. Yeah, I think it's very important. I pi- I hear a lot of entrepreneurs that pitch me, and I try to push them on on really what's the purpose of the exercise. Uh, a lot of them think, you know, oh, if I can just raise my first round of funding, or if I can just get my second round of funding, or if we can just get to profitability, or whatever. But as an investor, certainly, I want to know, you know, what what's your goal? What are we signing up for? Because、mm-hmm. uh, we're in a partnership together, and and as an investor, I want to understand that at some point you understand you need to return、mm-hmm. value to me as the investor. And、mm-hmm. so,、uh, I know some people it kind of became popular to say we're running this business forever, or the business、mm-hmm. isn't for sale.、Uh, I mean, basically every business is for sale. Uh, you're just haggling over price, and I think it's important to come up with that idea of value and price in a calm environment, as opposed to in the middle of trying to negotiate an offer.、Mm. So, would you recommend、uh, all entrepreneurs, you know, having the asset strategy in mind when he or she still early in the process? Well,、uh, again, I think it's more even than a s- exit strategy per se. It is a, a exit philosophy.、Mm. I, am I building a business to sell? If I take investor money, I, I basically am committing to selling that either to the public or to a private entity、mm-hmm. at some point to return.、Mm-hmm. And understanding that, and that you have a obligation to get、uh, value for your business,、mm-hmm. and thinking about that ahead of time. Uh, it's not necessarily. Do I know it's going to happen in three years, five years, seven years? Who knows? Right.、Uh, but when the opportunity does arise, and、mm-hmm. and peop- there's a saying that great businesses are bought, they're not sold, and that's absolutely true. You 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 need somebody who wants the asset, but you need to be prepared for that whenever it happens. That is so cool. Great businesses are bought, not sold. Yes, it's very hard to go out and. And actively sell a business、uh, if your timing's not right,、mm-hmm. because typically for for a large business or a business that has a lot of value,、mm-hmm. there just aren't that many buyers. I tell people it's like you have a、uh, you know maybe a five million dollar house、mm-hmm. in Austin, Texas. Somebody knocks on your door and says, "Hey, I'll give you six million for it." Now you may make the argument that in five years it's going to be worth ten million, but if you want to sell anytime soon, you certainly ought to listen because there just aren't that many people、mm-hmm. that can buy a five to ten million dollar house. And、mm-hmm. so it's the same thing in selling a business. Typically, 
you once you get to any size, you know, and certainly once you get to nine figure type numbers, mm -hmm. there are very few people who can pay that money. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very limited pool. And so you've got to be available when they're buying. Mm -hmm. That's incredible advice. And, and Joe, I know that along the journey, you have accomplished so many success. I'm curious, along the way, what might be one of the biggest challenges that you or your business partner have to go through to help you become who you are today? Well, while I've certainly had success, I don't have a perfect batting average. I have started companies that failed. And that's always, fortunately for me, I've only lost investor money once. Mm -hmm. Every other time that I've raised money from investors, I've been able to return a value. But I did, did lose investor money once. And that's certainly a humbling experience. Tell us about that. Was it a very difficult process? It certainly is a difficult process. I mean, partly because I had a lot of my own money tied up in it as well. It wasn't just investor money. I had put, uh, I was by far the, the largest investor in the deal. Uh, and, you know, knowing when to quit is a, you know, very difficult question. Uh, Let's talk about that because today there's a lot of um, hustling mentality. Oh, you know, keep going, perseverance, never give up. Let's keep hustling. And I think that had created some stress among this entrepreneurship ecosystem and knowing that, you know what, they never quit, so I shouldn't neither. So tell us about that. How do you decide when to walk away? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and there's a quote, and I, I don't know it off the top of my head, but it sounds something like, you know, try, try, try again, you know, but then quit. Don't be a damn fool. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I think, you know, you, you've got to kind of benchmark yourself against success, right? And so when you're building a company, yes, a lot of the what people think are overnight successes were 5, 10, 20 years in the making. Mm -hmm. But I think if you looked at those companies, even that were, you know, 10 years to, to some sort of significant exit, they were making significant progress along the way. They mm -hmm. were building along the way. It wasn't overnight success. They had a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. They may have had to pivot. Mm -hmm. But in general, they were they were making progress along the way. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what you've got to judge. You've got to kind of set out a bar that says, here's here's kind of minimal progress we need to be making uh, with some objective measures. And if you're constantly falling short of those objective measures, mm -hmm. that's when you do have to look at each other and go, hey, this isn't working out the way we thought it was. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not making, you know, steady progress towards some goal. Mm -hmm. uh, and at some point, uh, those resources, you know, need to be deployed somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So essentially, being calm and collective, have a certain matrix along the way. So you know, you let the fact tell you rather than you decide at the spur of the moment. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you're always in decision making in general, you want to set up your uh, hurdles at a time when you're calm, cool, and collected <laughs> as opposed to in the heat of the battle. Because, I mean, the problem you get into certainly in a, in a startup, especially with your own money, mm -hmm. is, A, I've invested all this money. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be terrible to shut things down. And, of course, that's a famous uh, fallacy called the sunk cost, sunk cost fa yeah. fallacy in logic. Uh, but it's very easy in the heat of the moment to keep saying, well, if we just put another 100000 if we just put mm -hmm. another 500 if we just put another million, I'm sure things will get there. Mm -hmm. uh, but if there's no objective reality data telling you that that's the case, mm -hmm. uh, you're just wasting resources. Knowing all that, Joel, but back to that moment, was it still hard for you to walk away, re re recognize that was a quote-unquote failure, but 
I don't believe it's a, a failing knife. How do you think about that? Well, it certainly was hard to, you know, kind of write the letter that said, hey, I, the, you know, we're going to shut down the business mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, you're not going to get any return on your investment. Now, you know, most of those investors had made significant money with me before, so mm -hmm. they still were ahead in the grand scheme of things. But uh, losing other people's money is hard. It's much harder to me than losing my own money. Mm -hmm. um, I was okay with losing my own money. I, I was not, you know, okay with losing investors' money. And so, uh, you know, every situation's different, uh, but uh, it was certainly a, a challenging thing. And, and, you know, sometimes you don't know what in your entrepreneurial career, there's a lot of luck involved. And uh, so, you know, maybe my first few successes were luck and, <laughs> and uh, you don't know that. So, uh, you know, you're always going to have some hits and misses if you do mm -hmm. this on a serial basis. Nobody mm -hmm. is 100%. And even the ones who are who, who have big scores. I mean, if you read Elon Musk and Tesla, they were, mm -hmm. you know, weeks away from shutting down Tesla mm -hmm. at some points. And uh, so it's it's hard to know where that line is. Mm -hmm. So what keep you going, Joe? What, what inspire you to keep going one after another after another? Yeah, well, I believe fundamentally that, you know, businesses, the, the purpose of a business is to create value. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a free market system, you know, trade, the, the idea that someone would give you something of value to achieve something that they value more uh, has provided a, a tremendous, you know, increase in human uh, productivity, in human uh, success, in human thriving, uh, all of the things that we have in the modern world. We don't have to go back very long in history uh, to know that those things weren't available. And uh, those all happen because of businesses providing value uh, and exchange of value. And so, you know, I'm a big believer in the power of capitalism and business to create great good in the world. And I just want to see people do that to the best of their ability. Mm, that's so incredible. So along the journey you mentioned earlier, you, you feel like the luck might be one of the factors that, you know, made you uh successful, but I'm sure it's not just it. And in your words, uh, Joel, what do you think is your superpower? What made you successful today? Um, you know, that's a good question. And probably other people who've worked with me would be better able to answer it because, of course, anything that we do well and comes naturally to us, we just assume mm -hmm. uh, that everyone can do that. Mm. Um, you know, I, uh, I think, you know, as I look back on my business career, my decision-making uh, has been pretty good and, and sort of contrarian. And I think that has provided a lot of value. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's something that came very natural uh, to me. Why is that? Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think a lot is personality. Uh, you know, I, I have, you know, two brothers and two sisters, and they're very different uh, uh, personalities. And, and uh, even though they were raised in the same household, have, have different levels of self-confidence and and experience, which, you know, I have to believe a lot was, was inborn. I played uh, competitive tennis growing up and, mm. and played competitive tennis uh, for a long time. I played for 50 years now, I guess. Um, you know, I think that's a great sport and it's an individual sport. You're out there on your own. Um, and so you have to kind of deal with everything. Typically in tennis, you don't even have a coach, uh, certainly not on the court with you. And so learning to you know, survive in that environment and be successful, I think was certainly helpful for the CEO role mm -hmm. where you're kind of in a similar situation. You're kind of all alone in the mm -hmm. decision-making role. You can't really 
share everything you're thinking with the people that work for you or yeah. with your board or investors or whoever. Mm-hmm. And so I think that individual sporting experience was certainly formative for me mm-hmm. uh, in helping me uh, make decisions along the way. Mm. That's wonderful. I definitely can see the parity between being competitive in the sport, but also winning in the business world and make sure creating value and supporting the team, the customers, everybody involved. That's incredible. So Joel, tell us a little bit more about your book. Yeah, so as I um, was, when I was chairman of the Austin Technology Council, as we looked at the Austin environment mm-hmm. uh, in those days, there were kind of two main problems we identified in terms of making the Austin startup environment as successful as possible. And mm-hmm. those two were, one was very obvious, a lack of capital at that time. This mm-hmm. is going back, you know, to the 2010 kind of time frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there just weren't near as much capital available in Austin as there were in some of the other markets. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing was the perception that maybe there weren't enough qualified CEOs mm-hmm. to maximize the use of that capital, that we're really going to mm-hmm. be able to hit home runs if given the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so I started teaching a course uh, through the Austin Technology Council about a dozen years ago or so uh, for CEOs to, you know, kind of teach them the process mm-hmm. I had gone through in scaling my business uh, to an exit. Mm-hmm. And so that led to then, uh, after teaching that several times, uh, led to writing the book called The CEO Tightrope. And, mm. and when I started to write the book, I thought, well, I'll find out that Harvard has their model for being CEO and Stanford has their model for being CEO. And I'll come in as the practical person mm-hmm. and say, well, you guys are way too academic. This mm-hmm. isn't practical. Here's some practical advice on doing it. Yeah. What I found out was Harvard doesn't have a model for being CEO. Stanford doesn't have a model for being CEO. Mm. Uh, Most business professors have not run large organizations and Mm -hmm. so don't have any real opinions. And while they write a lot of uh, good advice on specific niche areas of management, leadership, there really hasn't been a lot of thought put around what is the role of the CEO in a modern American company. Uh, And so that was the model I was trying to build with the CEO tightrope was here's how you think about the job at the high level. Uh, What does it mean to be a professional CEO? Can you describe that for us? Well, you know, that's uh, certainly uh, I I, I can. It's it's what does the CEO have to do in an organization at scale? That kind of can't be delegated because a lot of the a lot of things that happen in an organization mm-hmm. can be delegated, but there are certain things that CEO uh, has to do, and there there are kind of five responsibilities I came up with that I think speak to that role. Uh, first is own the vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people would call it strategy, but uh, I think it's bigger than strategy. It's it's the mission of the organization, really mm-hmm. uh, defining that and and being clear about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may do that. On your own, you may do that with a team, Mm -hmm. uh, but you have to own it and be able to communicate it. Mm -hmm. What are the values of the organization? What are you going to reward? And and how are you going to think about running the organization? Uh, And then setting, you know, strategic objectives and so on. So own the visions, you know, kind of the starting point. And then as CEO, you're responsible for for providing all the resources uh, Mm -hmm. for the organization. And those resources, you know, people think about capital, certainly. Uh, That's a resource. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in most technology businesses anyway, the human resource component, Mm -hmm. the people are the key Mm -hmm. component that make the difference. And so the CEO has to, you know, kind of manage that whole process, be involved Mm -hmm. in that whole process of providing the resources. And then once you've got the right people, 
uh, in place and the right money in place and mm-hmm. you've got a clear vision, then you can start talking about culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, culture flows directly from the founder's values. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you need to think about that and be clear about what you're going to reward in the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it isn't so much about putting sayings on the wall, because if you put sayings on the wall, but those are different than what you reward in the organization, people are going to react to what you reward. So it's really about capturing the essence of you as a leader, mm-hmm. uh, what's important, what's your philosophy. Uh, and then you've got to make uh, good decisions. But but mm-hmm. more than that, you've got to teach the organization how to make decisions. I mean, one of the thoughts I've had throughout my career is how can small companies compete against, you know, much bigger companies? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you would think a large company has all the advantages. They have the people. They have the mm-hmm. resources. Mm-hmm. Um, they can they have the customers. They can do all kinds of things. How, why do these small companies grow up and and compete and, and sometimes, you know, put out of business much larger entities. And I believe it's because of the speed of decision making. Mm. Uh, and decision making really is the fuel of the engine of a business. The more decisions you make in the shorter period of time, the more mm-hmm. fuel you put on the engine. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important not only for the CEO to make good decisions, mm-hmm. but you to empower and teach the organization mm-hmm. how to make good decisions as well. And then finally, if you do all those things, you do what every CEO, everybody would say the CEO is responsible for, which is delivering performance, mm-hmm. right? Ultimately, you're responsible. If things go well, mm-hmm. congratulations. If things go poorly, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. There's no separation between your performance as CEO mm-hmm. and the performance of the organization as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so most people understand that CEOs, uh, you know, kind of are, uh, own performance, uh, but they don't think about the other things that kind of go to build up so that you can deliver performance. Mm-hmm. Because you can't just walk in and tell the team, go win. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to provide the structures, processes, and and resources to allow them to do that. Mm. Wow, what a comprehensive list. <laughs> so in your opinion, Joel, what are the number one biggest blind spot for a lot of you know uh, CEOs today running their businesses? And maybe uh, you know, in that five elements, what are the, maybe one of the most challenging parts? Well, I, you know, a lot of CEOs, it all depends on, you know, kind of our the history and background of the CEO mm-hmm. and the talents and skills. But a, a lot of CEOs will come out of some area of specialization. Uh, they were either a very good salesperson, a very good finance person, a very mm-hmm. good product person, technologist, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And that tends to paint their world uh, where they view the CEO job as just a big sales job and everything else is kind of unimportant. And I think one of the advantages I had uh, because I started by starting my own small business where I was the mm-hmm. VP of sales, the VP of marketing, the chief financial <laughs> officer, the chief product, I, I was everything, Yeah, um, was to get a good understanding of how it's the interaction of all those different areas that mm-hmm. really is what makes a business successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people think of just about a simple like, how do I grow a business? Well, they think immediately, well, I just need to sell more. Well, selling more only grows a business for a very short period of time Mm -hmm. because at some point then you're going to have to deliver more product to the customer. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to service more customers. You're Mm going to have to account for more resources. And so inevitably, uh, you can't just do one thing well in a business. You have to do all the things and all those things Mm -hmm. have to work together. So I think a blind spot for many CEOs is not understanding the importance of various areas. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember a great article 
um, years ago that someone wrote that said, you know, they didn't understand the importance of marketing because they'd never seen it done well. But once they saw it done well, they mm -hmm. suddenly understood. And I think that's a challenge for a lot of startup CEOs. They've never mm -hmm. seen anything but their particular area of expertise done mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So they don't understand the value those mm -hmm. other areas can provide to the business. And do you see these differences between entrepreneur versus small business owner versus CEO in terms of their business discipline? Well, there there are different stages in a business is the way I would answer that. Mm -hmm. They're from, you know, when you first start a business from zero to, you know, 20, 25 employees, typically, all you really need to worry about is, can I build a product that I can sell to a customer without running out of money? Mm. <laughs> That's a great summary. <laughs> uh, it's what, you know, the startup world refers to as product market fit. Yeah. Uh, but that's really what it's about, right? Mm -hmm. Build the product, sell the product, and not run out of money. Mm -hmm. uh, but once you get product market fit, then the nature of the business changes. And matter of fact, most people think of themselves in a particular niche. Let's say uh, they're SaaS software for car dealers. Uh, and they think that's the business they're in. And that is the business you're in in that product market fit stage because mm -hmm. you're worried about building a product for that specific customer, selling mm -hmm. it, and making money. Mm -hmm. But once you get out of that stage and you start scaling the business, really the only way to consistently grow a business is to master the ability to attract and make productive, talented people. And so you really transfer from becoming focused exclusively on building SaaS software for the car business to attracting people and being in the people business. So culture. And so culture becomes important. Mm. Uh, recruiting becomes important. Mm. Marketing to build a brand that pe where people want to work and customers want to come becomes really important. Mm -hmm. Customer service becomes really important. Mm -hmm. There are a whole bunch of things that become important mm -hmm. that weren't really important in those early days of just product market fit. Mm -hmm. And so it's that transition that I think most entrepreneurs struggle with. Mm -hmm. If you're a smart, talented entrepreneur, mm -hmm. you get product market fit. You mm -hmm. build something, sell it, don't run out of money. That's pretty simple. Yeah. It's the complexity that comes with being successful at product market fit mm -hmm. and then scaling to build a sustainable organization mm. is where most people struggle. Wow. It sounds like almost that transition from running a bicycle to now you're running this multi, like you find this airplane. They have a thousand buttons. Now you have a lot to worry about. Now a lot on the stake. And now, wow, that is incredible. Yeah, it may be even a better analogy is flying an airplane to being an air traffic controller. Um, <laughs> because now you've got multiple planes that you've got to keep track of. And your job's no longer to fly the plane. Your job's to coordinate all the different planes. That's so interesting. So you now graduate from the, you know, the, the the captain. Now you are controlling all the magic is happening in the air. Yes, that's a great way to put it. So Joel, you know, with all those amazing success, and you know, you, uh, you continue to you know build great businesses and supporting others. I'm curious, what drives you today? Yeah, I, I want to help others uh, make their organizations as successful as possible. Uh, I use the phrase, great CEOs create great jobs. Mm. And, uh, you know, one of the things that most people don't think about is if you're a CEO and you're managing somebody uh, in a business or whatever, you're probably the first or second most impactful person in that person's life, right? Your boss is hugely impactful uh, for you. And so 
uh, the ability to be good at that <laughs> and do it in a way that's sustainable and successful mm -hmm. uh, so that you don't have to come in one Friday and tell everybody, hey, you need to go find a new job mm -hmm. uh, is hugely valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's nothing that, you know, drives success in a country even more than, uh, you know, great jobs and, mm -hmm. and great success in business. And so, uh, you know, that's what really excites me is trying to mm -hmm. help CEOs mm -hmm. take a, a, a good business and make it a great business to mm -hmm. create great jobs. So tell us a little bit more about that, Jill. So today, how do you help CEOs and what uh, our uh, listener entrepreneurs say, you know what, Jill, that's amazing. But how can you help me? Yeah, so I do it, you know, mainly through two businesses today, uh, one called American CEO, mm -hmm. where we offer training specifically for CEOs. Mm -hmm. We do that either in a three-day intensive program mm -hmm. or a one-day-a-month program over the course of a year. Mm -hmm. Think of it as a, you know, maybe a, a alternative MBA program specifically for running organizations. Mm -hmm. And then the second organization I have is called Manager 360, mm -hmm. where we train uh, managers, executives, whoever, even CEOs, on, mm -hmm. on how to perform specifically the management function mm -hmm. in an organization and build a management system mm -hmm. for the organization. I mean, most organizations, managers manage based upon however they were taught, mm -hmm. however their manager managed them. And you bring all these managers together and you got this big organization with 500 managers and there's no consistent mm -hmm. system that all those managers are using. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of left as an employee up to the lottery of mm -hmm. do you get a good manager yeah. or a bad manager. And so we believe with Manager 360 that every manager in your organization should be trained on the basics of how to, how to be good at management mm -hmm. and that that provides tremendous value to the organization mm -hmm. and really is the way to get a competitive advantage. Uh, you know, everybody, all the technologists want to invent something that nobody's ever thought of before. That's really hard to do. I've seen it done, but it doesn't happen every day. But one thing you can do in your organization is make sure you're better at managing than your competitor's organization, because mm -hmm. most people spend zero time mm -hmm. making their managers better. And so we think that's a huge opportunity to drive mm -hmm. uh, a competitive advantage in any industry. How do you, how do you define a good leader or a good manager? Yeah, so obviously success um, of results is mm -hmm. important. Business performance. Business performance is important, but obviously as well, uh, relationships are important. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, people having an engaging work environment mm -hmm. and people doing things in the right ethical and, and moral way. Mm -hmm. And so those are kind of the four areas we focus on. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, drive results, yes, that's important. But if you do mm -hmm. that at the expense of uh, ethical and moral conundrums, that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, if you do that without considering relationships, uh, that's a problem. Yeah. And if you do it without engaging people in a fun mm -hmm. uh, and, and rewarding way, that's a problem. So those are kind of the four areas mm -hmm. we look at to evaluate a manager. Mm. Joel, I'm curious, do you think everybody can be a great CEO or entrepreneurs? Do you think this is born nature versus nurture? How do you see that? Because I feel like your journey is so incredible. And you not only you are yourself as a fantastic business leader, you also mentor hundreds, thousands of others. How do you see that? Yeah, I, I don't think anyone's born to be a great CEO. <laughs> there are certainly characteristics that are helpful. Um, and, and personality traits that are helpful. Uh, but I, and I think the biggest one is how quickly you can learn 
and implement those learnings into the business. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what we see, you know, if you look at a Zuckerberg or a Gates or somebody that started out at a very young age, obviously they didn't have a lot of knowledge mm-hmm. about how to run a business when they started, but they were very smart. Both of them were, were so smart they got bored at Harvard, which you got to be pretty smart to get bored at Harvard. But more importantly, they were self-aware of what they didn't know, mm-hmm. and they brought in people Gates, in the, in the case of Gates, uh, Steve Ballmer, mm-hmm. in the case of Zuckerberg, Sheryl Sandberg, mm-hmm. to offset some of their weaknesses. And they constantly were learning and taking those learnings and putting them into the business. Mm-hmm. And I see, you know, many entrepreneurs that they want to uh, invent everything themselves because they think mm-hmm. they're really creative and they've invented some software program or some technology. Mm-hmm. They think they can invent everything about business. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, whoa, that's that's a really hard to do, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would take a huge amount of time. Instead, leverage the best practices. People have been doing this business thing for many years, and there are a lot of best practices out there if you search for them, look for them, mm-hmm. and integrate them into your organization. Uh, so I don't know if everybody can be a great CEO, but I think I think if they want to be, that's the first question I often ask entrepreneurs, is this the job you want to do? Once I explain to them what the job is, you may say, that's not what I want to spend my time doing. I want to spend my time in front of a computer programming the next great version of the software. Well, that's fine. Uh, then you should hire somebody as CEO and, and go back mm-hmm. to programming. Uh, but I think most people, if they want to do the job, can learn how to be a, a good CEO uh, but they have it. It's like anything else you learn in life. It takes time and practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can listen to me talk. You can read my book. That uh, just like uh, you know, I've played tennis all my life, and I could tell you everything I know about playing tennis. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't be a better tennis player tomorrow because I told you that you would be a better tennis player if you took what I told you and went and practiced for the next year mm-hmm. uh, all the things we talked about. And so it's the same thing as CEO. There has to be a burning desire internally to improve and constantly get better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm still learning at 57 how to be CEO, and that's the attitude you need to have throughout your journey. Wow, Joel, you still are learning. That's so inspirational because I feel like you have done so many successes. And so what's next for you? What are you learning today? Yeah, oh, I'm constantly thinking about how to uh, – uh, better manage people, how to better run organizations, how to explain that to people better, simplify it, make it as simple as possible, but no mm-hmm. simpler. Uh, I often look at new business ideas as well and try to innovate and mm. figure out, uh, you know, things that might be interesting in the business world. So, yeah, I I, I have no uh, plans on retiring anytime soon. Sounds sounds lovely. And sounds like you are quite involved in the startup community when folks are constantly pitching ideas to you, pitching their innovations. When you're looking at those amazing innovations, what are you looking at? Yeah, I, I start with the people side. Um, people? You know, are the, are the people, is it reasonable to think that these people in front of me are going to be the, you know, leading experts on whatever the area is and, and able to deliver uh, mm-hmm. you know, positive results. I mean, it starts with the people. Uh, the idea, I mean, ideas are a dime a dozen. You can have the best idea in the world, but if you don't have the right people, you're not going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it starts with the people is the first hurdle. Uh, at this point in my career, there are certain things that interest me, certain things that don't interest me. I could hear the best idea in medical technology I've ever heard. It's just not my mm-hmm. area of interest. And so I've learned that uh, that that's just not uh, what I want to invest in or be involved in. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's probably the second thing. And then 
you know, then you start looking at is there a market and is, you know, is this an opportunity to uh, something to build something of scale? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm probably more interested at this point in my career for at swinging for the fences than just building a nice lifestyle business mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so what are the areas of interest? Yeah, what are areas of interest? Well, uh, you know, wide range. I mean, obviously, enterprise software is where I've spent most of my career selling to corporate IT is, mm-hmm. is where most of my businesses have been. Broadly, I think I would categorize software that makes businesses more productive mm-hmm. is probably one of my big areas of interest. Mm-hmm. But I'm also an electrical engineer, I, and I drive a Tesla. I'm, you know, I love the EV space. I've looked at stuff there. Uh, you know, there's a wide range of things that mm-hmm. I'll look at, but, uh, you know, software is the only area where uh, business software, particularly B2B mm-hmm. enterprise software is the only area where I feel like I have some amount of expertise. Mm-hmm. So when entrepreneurs now about to pitch you, Jules, what is one thing that you wish all of them know before they come to uh, present to you? Yeah, I think, as we talked about earlier, I think that purpose of the exercise, what mm-hmm. what are they really trying to do here? Are they trying to, you know, just make, make get a job, uh, mm-hmm. you know, raise enough money so they have a job mm-hmm. uh, and run their own thing? Are they trying to change the world? Are mm-hmm. they trying to you know, make a return for investors. What What mm-hmm. is their driving force? What's going to make them get up every day? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I want to hear what they're excited about. Mm. I love that, Joel. You are not only uh, so thoughtful regarding how to run business in a very collective and calm way, but I feel like you always in- invest in people, in a culture, and really just make sure just creating something magical for the world. I hope so. Um, Joel, I'm curious. You know, one day we're all going to go to heaven, this magical place. I wonder, what do you want your graystone says about you? Uh, boy, that's a that's a tough one. Um, I can tell you mine <laughs> while sure. you think about it. Sure. Um, I want mine to say she lived. Uh-huh. And, I, and I want it means not only she lived all the amazing rosy and sunshine, but all those challenges, downs, all the things, everything in between. I want to see the mountains, see the river, see the city, see the little town, I see all of it. And I think for me, life is about the journey, about experiences, about, of course, all the successes, but oftentimes it's not always that every single day. And I want to experience it all. I just want to felt she lived. A mm. mountain, ga- mountain girl like me come this far from China to Chicago to Austin. Today, I just want to make sure I lived. Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, yeah, mine would probably be more with served uh, is mm. the word I would use. Um, yeah, I, I would like to feel like I was useful that I that that people, uh, you know, that, that people's lives were impacted because of what uh, what I did or said. You're so humble. Of course, Joel. I remember when I first met you, I was like, oh, my God, that is incredible. I was just remember you. In, you were so inspiration the way how you talk about a quote-unquote boring stuff about <laughs> <laughs> how to build system and strategy all the fun things that you feel like wow like it'll be amazing if i can just get, get a chance to share you with on my podcast and here you are so uh truly thank you this is such a fun conversation really appreciate you you're so candid so honest and so kind at the same time and really appreciate you know your wonderful journey Great to be with you. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's show as much as I do, and I cannot wait to see you all next time. Bye, guys.